you need to be a certain speed to be a runner. You need to look a certain way to be a runner if you get out the door. So even you were saying about like you run until it gets really uneven. You're still a runner in my eyes. Anyone who runs is a runner. There's no better or worse. And yes, technically there's faster and slower, but it doesn't make anyone any less of a real runner. And then, yeah, same with body type. There is no like look of a runner. I don't believe in that. Yes, do I believe if we want to get down to the science that there's probably a a weight that people would run fastest? Yeah, but unless someone is like going for the Olympics, I don't even think that's worth even registering. So I love to see people of every body size coming into the sport and hopefully feeling like they belong. Welcome to Nutrition Without Compromise, a podcast brought to you by Orlo Nutrition. We believe that nutrition shouldn't be an either or, that you should never have to sacrifice your morals for your health or that of our home planet. Join natural products veteran Karina Belizzi and experts from around the globe as they discuss healthy solutions that are better for you and better for the planet. Welcome to another interview episode of Nutrition Without Compromise. Today, I'm joined by my friend and collaborator, Tina Moyer. Tina is the founder and CEO of Running For Real. She's a mother of two and a former elite runner for Great Britain and Northern Ireland. She hosts the Running For Real podcast, a collection of conversations about running, about the climate emergency and social justice, which has amassed over 6 million downloads to date. She also hosts Running Realized, an NPR-style podcast with Knox Robinson called The Invisibilia of Running Podcasts by Women's Running. Tina has worked with the United Nations Office for the Coordination of Humanitarian Affairs and has been featured in The Guardian, The Telegraph, People Magazine, Outside, Self, and Women's Health. Wow, Tina, all the acclaim. Welcome to the show. I know I have to say that feels very uncomfortable to sit there and listen to that. If you're someone who's not good at taking compliments, it's like, oh, can it be over now? But thank you. <laughs> it's nice to <laughs> Those that listen to your show already know that about you. You're really, I would say, just conversational with your community in a way that is really genuine, self-effacing, connected and real. And so the name Running for Real has always, I think, well suited your podcast and your message. It absolutely has. And it's funny when I was trying to come up with business names, I was going through with a friend and we were just talking back and forth, what could it be called? And then he said, "Running, Running for Real? And we were like, yes. Like it's one of those moments where you're like, perfect. That suits you down to the T. So yeah. Definitely made a good choice with that one. And the word real is kind of a good word right now. It's it's a bit of a buzzword. So I uh, <laughs> I landed well in that way too. So yeah. Well, you and I share a love for great nutrition, for social and sustainable impact, and also running, though I've had to retire my running sneakers for my hikers these days, given, well, a trick ankle, bit of a bunion issue. <laughs> and an unwillingness to address these things through surgery. So that's where I probably stand out from some of my peers. They just go under the knife and they're they're fine with it. But I was just like, no, not for me. <laughs> no, I'm with you there. I, that would be an absolute last resort. I'm really scared of like being cut open. Like that just creeps me out. So I'm 100% with you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't like being put under. I've had to go through that once and the whole concept of just like going into the deep sleep of a medically induced semi-permanent feel is just like, uh, I don't know, not for me. 
Now, I understand that you're currently prepping for both the Boston Marathon and the UK Marathon. How are you feeling? How's your body? Are you ready? Well, in both of those instances, it's a little bit different to when I've done those races in the past. Although Boston, I've done once as what I'm about to do and once as it was my first marathon postpartum. So yeah, I mean, in the past when I'd done races, it was very serious, very intense. And it was at this point where I am now really in the thick of it. I was exhausted all the time, whereas now it's more of a fun thing. I'm very fortunate that my body can handle One of my friends this morning actually sent me a message. was just like, it's so funny to me that you can just say, oh, yeah, I'm just going to do a marathon in April, just like that. (laughs) She's like, that's so inconceivable for 99% of people. But yeah, so I am training, but I wouldn't say for me, it's just kind of normal as like, yeah, I don't know. It just that's just where my body is. It's so used to doing these things. Well, and if you think about it, for somebody who hasn't done distance running, it does feel like it's something that you would never imagine being able to do. And it sounds like torture. But for those who have kind of gone over that hurdle, I mean, I could say, okay, well, if I didn't have my ankle that sprained constantly, if I was stepping on a pebble wrong, then I could be ready for a marathon in four months and feel confident that I could do it. But it wouldn't necessarily be in my best performance, so to speak. You know, I might need like an extra few months if I was really going to do that. But being someone who has, you've done these distance runs for (laughs) your entire adult life. So I think it feels like you get back in the swim of it, so to speak, a little bit easier. And with Boston, which actually isn't 100% at the moment, because I am running as a guide. So I will run with a a visually impaired runner they want. And that's what I did last year at Boston. And so it's not 100% because it's obviously not dependent on me. And then London, I will be doing something in terms of sustainability, like paying attention to their sustainability measures. So that in itself will be different because it's not, again, going to be running hard. It's kind of paying attention to what they're doing. So both of these runs are more fun ones with passions of mine. And then I am doing an ultra in May that I think, which I haven't signed up for. So hopefully I am. That will be more of the goal race, I think. Wow. Well, I think it's such an amazing experience to consider running with someone who is sight impaired so that you're essentially their eyes and ears while you're running along. That's phenomenal. That would be so much fun. And particularly at Boston, because Boston is like the victory lap of so many runners. Yeah. And that's the thing though. people always say, oh, that's amazing. Or like, oh, that's so good. You do that. But actually, I feel like I get the biggest amount of appreciation for it. Like, it's such a gift and an honor to be able to be trusted with that and to have that experience. For me, it doesn't feel like giving back. It feels like I'm the one receiving. So I recommend everyone at some point gives that a try. Uh, It doesn't have to obviously be running, but something. It's really amazing. Yeah. Wow. Well, having run Boston, I ran it back in 2009. I can just kind of put myself in that mindset and just think about what it would be like to be there at the start line at that very early morning and what would probably be a cold day to then the crowds and the cheers and everything that comes with the running of it. I mean, especially as somebody who can't see, like all of the auditory nature of it is just, it's incredible. It's an incredible experience. Yeah, yeah. Definitely is an instance where you can feel the energy, not just being about seeing it or even hearing it. So you can like feel it in the air. It's palpable. Absolutely. Wow. Well, I did not know that. You kind of took me by surprise. I love it. I love to do that. I've done it. Yeah, many times now. 
Wow. So before we dig into the science of health and nutrition as it relates to running, I've got to share this simple disclaimer with the world. Anything that we discuss today is not intended to be advice for you. What we share today is offered for informational purposes. So if you have specific health concerns, you'll want to connect with your healthcare provider. Wow. Okay. So that's out of the way. Let's get started. (laughs) What does nutrition without compromise mean to you, Tina? I think I'm going to take it in a bit of a different way to what I would imagine most people take it in that nutrition without compromise means to me listening to your heart, your body and what feels right. And sometimes that's going to mean that you need to, you're craving some nutrient that is it like our body knows it's missing from our diet that's why we crave things or it might be you are craving something a crunchy and lots of textures like a nice big hearty salad but also sometimes that might mean that you are craving like something really sweet in which case that's your body saying hey uh, I'm a little a little low on calories here can you like top me up or something. So for me, that means just trusting in my body. We're so taught to use outside factors now to to know what our body needs. And while that's great, I think in many cases, if we learn to get back to that skill of listening, we're going to find ourselves in a place where our body is happy because it is being listened to and it is telling us what we need. Well, I think that's really poignant. And so few people, I think really listen to what their body needs and then try to interpret that. Because I think if we understand like, okay, I'm craving sweets right now, why? Sometimes it's simply that you have low blood sugar or that you're low energy or that you just need a little bit extra. And often we villainize sugars, we villainize carbohydrates. We talk about proteins and fats now as being the positive things that you want to get in your life, but that carbohydrates are sometimes and somehow bad. Now, In an earlier episode, I talked about this with another athlete who is transitioning from being solely in really the gym and kind of sculpting her body via weights and other things to look a certain way, to be a fitness model, to be an LA Lakers girl, because she was actually at one point a cheerleader for the LA Lakers, to then saying, I'm going to go distance and having to get over this hurdle, this concept that carbohydrates are bad. So I would love for you to talk about the nutrition needs of somebody performing at this elite level and how it can be different and how perhaps important specific carbohydrates can be in the right balance and with the right training. Yeah. So I think most people listening to this would know that carbohydrates, if you want to do any kind of distance running, yes. I mean, there definitely are a few ultra athletes out there I know who are low carb, who do high protein, very little carbs. And it seems to work for them. But the vast majority of us, I think, are not going to get very far. And I tried this and it worked for a little while. And then the wheels fell off (laughs) of not having enough of those carbs. And yeah, we do in many ways demonize carbs in a lot of areas of society today. And as I said, I was definitely heavily bought into that at one point in my running career. However, yeah, I think for me, I found 
that many of us have experienced that when you do put or nutrient dense, you're very thoughtful with the food that you're putting in, you're getting a wide range of colors and textures and food groups into your diet, you do start to crave more of those foods. And you love that mix of things. And I also have been at the other end in recent years where with two young kids, it's been kind of easy to reach for the stuff that's easy to grab. So say, I don't have the energy to make myself a salad. So I'm just going to eat another slice of bread. So I have seen both ends of that. I mean, I loved during my elite career getting most of my carb sources from those vegetables and I guess it would just be starches like sweet potatoes, regular potatoes, quinoa and like farro and rice and and more whole sources, I suppose. I found that those fueled me well and took care of me. But I also felt like, again, as you were saying just a minute ago, sometimes sugar is is made out to be the bad guy. I also think sometimes it was good for me to have like a croissant sandwich rather than it being just a load of vegetables on a plate, but having like a loaded, I used to like, I think I call it like a California club. And I'm a vegetarian now, but at the time it was like turkey and cheese and mayonnaise and tomato in it, croissant. And I loved things like that. And so I think there's place for everything. And while performance is a focus, you want to be getting a lot of those nutrient dense foods. Again, I also think for a healthy mental and emotional mindset, we also can't expect perfection because as I know from my own past, it's just going to take over your thoughts if you are policing everything going into and out of your body, especially when it comes to carbs. Wow. You mentioned something I was going to talk to you about, but now it's on (laughs) the plate, so to speak. So you would have the California club back in let's say the elite training days, how has your diet changed for distance running now that you are vegetarian? I mean, other than not having the animal products, just to ensure you have the proteins and that you can perform over the distance. Well, I want to begin by saying I am far from perfect with that. I have a lot of space to grow in terms of protein. I'm still learning how to do that because, and I think this is a problem that as I've been a vegetarian for probably two years now, a lot is a steep learning curve in terms of sounds easy and it is easy (laughs) but you just stop eating eggs and milk and animals yeah i do still eat eggs i don't actually like eggs very much the texture is not my favorite but i will do it but it's more just the you hear of this is reaching for the simple carbs because they are within reach and so it's not trying not to lean on those all the time or put too much weight into like how much peanut, almond, cashew butter I'm going through and thinking that that's good enough. So I have had to add a protein shake to my days most days because I don't think I was getting close enough to my protein intake. But beyond that, I mean, more than it being a change from my elite days to my whatever this stage of my running is, I honestly would say for me, it's more about the kids aspect of things. And I know you know this being a mother too, it can be quite difficult to find the energy to put into yourself to make foods when you're making foods for other people. Half the time you're making a dinner and it's completely rejected. And so you're putting this energy in and you might as well have not bothered and just done something simple. And so I do find that that's something I'm constantly working against in the mental energy I'm spending on all the different areas of my life, including being a mother, that it can be very easy to put aside and just grab the easy thing. So I'm trying to plan ahead now. So like making a chia seed pudding and having that for breakfast. So remembering to put that in the day before. So I don't open the fridge post run and be like, 
all right what should i make today it's already there <laughs> for me so it's making it easier on myself freezer foods can stay in the freezer and you can actually get something a little fresher <laughs> exactly so and you know a, a lot of those good nutrient dense foods like for example berries or a lot of the fruits are, are quite expensive so there's also that piece in terms of trying to justify to myself that I too am worth spending a little bit of money on those fresh fruits. So yeah, I'm definitely in a learning curve, but I will say that hasn't been as difficult to switch, particularly around dinners as I thought it would be. There's so many good options now for vegetarian meals for dinner that aren't just impossible burgers, which you're just sliding in the, the fake meat for the quote unquote you know, real meat, but actually like really like a lentil dal or a pesto that's made with broccoli and like cauliflower and like just lots of different nutrient dense things in one place. I have found that pretty easy to find recipes that are really solid nutritionally for me. It's just for me, I've got to work on the breakfast a bit more. <laughs> <laughs> Well, and you do have eggs to lean on if you chose to do something like that. But the morning of a distance run, as for example, if you were going out on a training run of 20 miles just in prep for something like the full marathon, you need something that's a little quicker and easier on your digestion, maybe not quicker, but easier on your digestion than perhaps even a chia seed pudding might be. So for me, I found that oatmeal was the perfect breakfast before a run because it kind of, in my mind, it sticks to the ribs. <laughs> so I wouldn't bonk midway through the run, but I also wouldn't get upset tummy. So for anybody who's training for that marathon, you have to understand that there's a lot of anticipation, a lot of possible anxiety the morning of a big race. And I think the best advice I got when I was running my own was to have something in your system. And then when you arrive at the start line, get in line for the bathroom. And then when you finish, get in line again, because you almost have like a nervous bladder thing happen too. And the last thing you want is to have to use the porta potties at mile 17. Yes, yes, <laughs> for sure. And then back to your point about oatmeal, just another point, another thing on that, like oatmeal is by far and away, I think the easiest and best thing to do. I also used to like sweet potatoes with almond butter that I found that sat really well for me. But whatever it is that you do, make sure you have practiced it with the exact duration to go that you will be using it. So let's say your race starts at 7 a.m. Yes, unfortunately, that means at least three times getting up at 4 a.m. to practice or if you're going to run at 9, 10 a.m., getting up at 7 or whatever it would be. So you have that practice. Your body knows kind of like, oh, I've got this. Oh, I've done this before. So especially once you add on what you just mentioned, that nervous energy, your stomach is like, oh, well, I already know what's going on with the food and it's not a new stimulus for it to deal with. So but oatmeal is a great shout for sure. The other great advice I got and I felt really came home, especially after my first race running the full distance. My first marathon was on Hawaii and it was a completely different climate than I was used to running in. I run in Santa Cruz County. It's perfect weather here almost all year for running. And then you go to somewhere like Hawaii where the humidity is intense, where it can bake by the time you'll be finishing the race. And I was not accustomed to running in heat. I also had the challenge of the excitement at the start line of allowing myself to be sucked out with the other runners, which means that I was not running my pace. I was not running my race. I had friends who were running the half marathon and they'd also at the Honolulu marathon done a 5k. So 
you had this mass of runners that were kind of running different distances and some of whom were starting at the same time. And it made for a very challenging day and the most painful run I've ever been on. That being said, go slow to start, get in that bathroom line, eat something that is not going to disrupt your system that you've tried before to your point. And also just really even getting in the rhythm of it. If you are going to run that race or going to do that big event, you're actually saying it's important to do it a couple, maybe even three times the few weeks before the marathon would occur so that your entire circadian rhythm gets the, I get this. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I would even start it maybe a little further out just with the food at least so that if you've done two runs and you're like, you know, this something about this it feels like oatmeal one of the complaints people say is it feels too heavy too heavy in my stomach so maybe for you oatmeal isn't it and you instead want to try a sweet potato or you want to try a bagel so trying a bit further out means if something goes wrong then actually have time to try something else and make sure that works instead perfect you mentioned something also that i think is on people's minds as they are going about their lives and and that's just being a sustainable runner. What does that look like? What does that mean to you? To me, that means that you are in this for as long as you want to be in this. It means if you want to be a runner for life, and I mean for life, there's plenty of 98, 99, 100 year old runners. You want to be in it for life, you can be in it for life. And if you decide at some point, my time has passed, it's time for me to move on, that's absolutely fine too. But A sustainable runner means that you are doing what you need to do to stay healthy in terms of maybe that strength training, taking care of parts of your body that are not worked during running, that are kind of moving in different planes of motion. But it also means emotionally with a sport like running, people can get very invested very early and get too caught up in it of you get those newbie gains at the beginning doing really well and then people get really into it and then either get injured and they're told well the doctor says well you weren't meant to run anyway so maybe it's not for you and then they stop or maybe they can't seem to reach where they were before or they stop getting faster and they think well this is the end of it so being a sustainable runner also means recognizing that there's going to be ups and downs there's going to be plateaus There's going to be times where goals and times and performances, whatever that means to you, are the focus. And there's also should be times where it's the focus is just I'm stressed in my life right now and I just need a run each day to work through all the stuff in my head. So it means using running for what it brings to you in that moment, but also giving to it in terms of the best that you can do in that moment because we are going to have periods of life where no matter how much you love it, it just can't be first. And I'm kind of in that stage right now. Well, parenting. (laughs) Yes. Having young children. Yes. I understand that you're getting ready to release a book on this subject as well. So what, if anything, can you share about it today at this early stage? Yeah, yeah. So Becoming a Sustainable Runner is coming out on August 1st, 2023. It is available for pre-order. And the book is looking at sustainable running in three areas. So the first is kind of what we talked about there, how to have a healthy relationship to the sport, how to be in it for a as long as you want to be. The middle part is about community, connecting to your community, and it doesn't have to be local. It can be through online. It can be, as I talked about earlier, through giving back, through guiding or volunteering or mentoring. And when I say mentoring, I don't necessarily mean someone has to be like me, a former elite athlete. 
but it could be someone who has never run in their life and you've been running a few years, exactly like you were saying here, here are some things I learned. And I think people often think mentoring means you know everything. Like anyone listening, your advice is helpful to someone. And then the third piece is planet, being sustainable humans, trying to be good stewards of our planet, making choices that standing up for what is right when it comes to climate change through, yes, the big things like voting, but also taking action in other ways and and considering the experiences of others and why saying to them, just go for a run, maybe isn't quite as simple as it as it may seem. So it's looked at through three pillars. And yeah, my co-author and I, uh, Zoe Rome, we worked really hard on it. So we're, we're excited. I can't wait to get my copy. I personally am inspired by listening to your podcast, even though I am not a runner any longer. I take it with me on my long trail runs. I call them runs, but I mean, really, I'm kind of jogging along with my dog here and there. And then whenever there is any uneven ground, it just, I resort to the hike, so to speak, because that's when my ankle will go. Mm -hmm. I don't think I would call it running if I was comparing myself to you. Let's just put it that way. Well, comparison is another thing we talk about in the book and how that, as we know, comparison is the thief of joy, right? Right. Well, you mentioned this, I think, deeply in a recent podcast where you brought one of your best friends on the show and talked about competition between women. I think it's a really strong episode and perhaps a departure from what you typically cover on the show. What is that episode called so people can find it? Oh, I actually don't know. Oh, gosh, I'd have to go and look. Yeah, I know. But it's with one of your best friends. What was her name again? Elizabeth Inpine. Yes. So if they went for that one, I think you've interviewed her a few times. 339. So 339 episodes in and still going strong. (laughs) Yeah. And the person I have uh, coming, she was number 17, I think. So it's very strange being like, oh, I talked to you in November 2017. So yeah, that makes it seem like such a long time ago when I think about 2017 that I started this. I wanted to also just on this theme of being a mentor. I wanted to offer you this day to talk about for a moment what you're doing with the weekend shows that you run where you're actually taking people training with you. Can you talk about that? Yeah. So during the pandemic, when we were really in the scary part, when we didn't know what was going on, I noticed that everyone was feeling very lonely. We were all kind of panicked through just the fear of the unknown. And I kind of miss running with other people. And I thought to myself one day, okay, I know I can can talk while I'm running because I do it when I run with other people. And I know people are feeling lonely. So what if I took my phone with me and pretended I was kind of on a phone call with someone? And so that began what is now known as Together Runs. I take a microphone with me on my runs and yeah, I talk to people, but I the part I love the most is that the first 15 to 20 minutes of the episode are very much like meditative grounding elements. So we we check in with nature. I make everyone touch some element of nature or feel their feet on the ground. And then we do a body scan. So we check in with the various parts of our body, which I, which I lead and kind of guide people through. And then we go through a senses check-in where we pay attention to each of the five kind of primary senses. And then I do a mental health check-in. And with each of these things, I ask a question or tell, say, you know, what are you here? And then I'm quiet for 45 seconds. Or what do you see? Make sure you pick some detail that you wouldn't normally pay attention to and give people a minute. And then the final piece is the how are you really? And in that, I 
leave a two minute space for people to reflect on how they are actually doing. Not the, yeah, good, you, that we all tend to do in our daily lives, but actually like, how are you? And people have really connected with that. And they do enjoy the conversational piece, which is literally talking about whatever comes into my head. But people really love that grounding piece because it's just enough time to be in your own head without getting that discomfort of like, I don't want to listen to this because it's making me like think I'm crazy. So yeah, I take people with me once a week on these together runs and the community has just loved it. So and it's a gift to me too, because I can imagine people running with me. Well, I have to say, I love hearing you talk about this because while I have listened to your Together Runs, I didn't realize how much intention went into that. And one of the things I will say for anybody listening, you might think, oh, well, that's an uncomfortable silence. And I might be sitting there thinking, what happened to the podcast? It's dead air now. But she's running while this is happening. So you hear the footfalls and you hear the sounds of nature. And sometimes a truck is going by or something along those lines because it actually does make you feel like you're powerfully connected and with you. And the tone that you undertake for the whole thing is literally like you're just talking to a friend. And so I think it makes people feel closer to you and more connected and serves as a gentle reminder that each of us, even with the power of influence and this kind of perspective of mentorship, can develop a really close, connected feel with the people that we impact. This is my experience also in the world of podcasting. I feel like the podcasters I listen to, I get to know too. And I feel like there are almost people I could walk up to and say, oh, do you remember when? even though they have no knowledge of who I am. Oh, yeah. I mean, well, I've had plenty of people say, come up to me and say things like that. And in my head, Brene Brown and I are best friends. She just doesn't know it yet. <laughs> because <laughs> it's the same thing that I have with her. I feel like we're friends already. <laughs> yeah, well, I think you'll get there. You'll have a conversation with her at some point in the not too distant future. I actually believe that. <laughs> someday. I do believe that. <laughs> it's the power of intention. And perhaps it will be that you come on her podcast and talk about your book or something along those lines. We'll see. You're like dream world right now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That might be a bit too high in the sky. I'm shooting for the next 10 years. Maybe when she's no longer relevant, she's like, oh, I'll talk to you now. <laughs> no, I think the relevancy We'll dream bigger for you. <laughs> All of us will dream bigger you. for you. And now we came together in the space of health and nutrition as it relates to what we're doing with Orlo and Omega-3s. And of course, as a vegetarian runner, you are looking to also fill nutritional gaps. So I wanted to offer you this one question and see what your thoughts are. Really, as it relates to maintaining your health and maintaining yourself as a runner, as a mother, as a podcaster, what are your favorite supplements, nutrition gaps that you're looking to fill, anything you really want to talk about in this space? And then I also want to talk about your work with a couple of sponsors that you're working with. So let's start with the nutrition side. Yeah. So, I mean, as I mentioned earlier, I my diet, my nutrition is far from perfect. Um, and part of that is, I believe, good. As I said, nutrition without compromise means, yeah, as you said, it's okay if we have ice cream. It's okay if we sometimes might crave chicken and waffles. Not that I don't even think I've ever eaten chicken and waffles, but like that's kind of <laughs> a good example, right? Like that's a very random yeah. thing that people might crave. And I will say, actually, even being a vegetarian, I have cheated even though I don't really like calling it cheated. I have had fish tacos a few times. I did have fried chicken one time. And that was because I was doing exactly that, of listening to what I felt like, the fried chicken in particular. It just sounded really good. 
and it smelled good and it looked good. And I thought, you know what, I'm going to do this. So, but that said, I do have a lot of gaps in my diet. And for me, yeah, Orlo definitely feels one of them, especially when it comes to not getting enough protein, not take necessarily getting enough things that take care of my heart and my brain with the omegas. And especially with the absorption rate is just so impressive and allows me to feel confident about what I'm taking there. I do also take Athletic Greens, which I find helps me to fill in the gaps of some of the more the vitamins and minerals that I probably wouldn't get through food anyway, unless I was living on some kind of organic farm where I could <laughs> eat the fresh foods every day. Go to the tree get yourself. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so I do find that helps. And that's actually kind of it. I am taking some creatine powder uh, with the protein powder right now, just because my strength coach feels like I need it with my diet being a vegetarian. But also there is a lot of research coming out about the effect of creatine for women. And so I'm just using that as an extra thing. But beyond that, I like to keep it pretty simple. I do have the immune support from Orlo, which especially as my daughter was sick, which we talked about off air all week, I have been using a lot of over the last few weeks, like desperately trying to keep this thing away from me. And so far, so good. So yeah, that's those ones. Well, that's fantastic. Well, the athletic greens is something that can go with just about any lifestyle and, you know, as are the Orlo. So I think that's fantastic. Now, for those listening, this podcast is brought to you by Orlo Nutrition. And why I love it so much is that it is the most sustainable and bioavailable algae-based omega-3 available in any market. And that form that she's talking about is polar lipid. So it's just better integrated into your cells. So that means it can get to work supporting your brain health and all of that. Now, I know I harp on omega-3s a lot, but I am a bit of an omega-3 evangelist. <laughs> and for those of you that aren't going to go and have the fish tacos multiple times a week, you probably need those omega-3s. Especially if you're vegetarian, it's hard to get enough omega-3 EPA and DHA in your daily life. Listeners of this show receive an extra 10% discount with the code NWC10 at checkout. So if you go to orlonutrition.com, you can use that code and get an extra 10% off. Okay, so back to brass tacks. This is a question I've had with regard to sustainable running for some time, and I understand you work with all birds. So I want to talk about this. I have pronation. And so being somebody who has some pronation and also who tends to roll my right ankle as if it's somebody throws a dice and one time out of six, I'm going to sprain it on something minor. So what is all birds as this more sustainable shoe offering runners, if anything, and kind of a stability running shoe or or what are they doing that's different and surprising for you right now? One just quick thing I do want to mention when you said about pronating, just for any runners out there listening who might maybe get confused by hearing that when they've heard something else, like every single one of us pronates, we all pronate, but to your point, you kind of do it maybe a bit more than ideal, which is why you mentioned about stability shape. Allbirds definitely does have some exciting things on the horizon with regards to that. However, they currently at the point where they, I mean, they're known in the lifestyle uh, space as having the world's most comfortable shoe. And for anyone who hasn't tried them, they really do deserve that title. Those shoes, like in the main shoes, the lifestyle shoes, I've spent 13 hour days working at Nexpo on them and still felt comfortable at the end of the day. They're amazing. And so their whole thing is doing better things in a better way. So they're not just going to like throw a shoe out or throw a stability shoe and a racing shoe and all of these things out there just to get them out there. They're really, they want to make sure they're competent. They want to make sure they get it right. 
So right now they currently have the Dasher 2, which is very much just like the up to 10K shoe. It's the shoe that can go from lifestyle to running. So if you had to pack one pair of shoes for your whole weekend on a carry-on, that would be the shoe. And then they have the Flyer, which is the one I I run in. But that is very much a neutral shoe. It's not really going to be the stability side of things. Uh, But one thing I will say that is very exciting is that just the lightning speed that Allbirds is innovating right now continues to blow my mind in terms of sustainability. The materials that they're using, the carbon number which they put on every item they make of how much kilograms of CO2 are put out for every item. The, the how quickly that number is dropping is like unbelievable. They are obsessive about getting that number down. So that's honestly what gives me the most excitement is not only are they doing that, but now other brands are starting to pay attention and do it too. And so I love that they are the leaders and they are kind of setting the bar in terms of what we can do environmentally when it comes to shoes and performance, because I think in the past it was always viewed as you either care about sustainability and then you'll wear these like crunchy hipster shoes made of, I don't know, wood that are going to fall apart or break, or you go for the hype full of petroleum, going to live in a landfill for 500 years, plastic shoes that are horrible for the environment, but going to help you run fast. So I love that they are blending the two. Mm-hmm. I'm right there with you. I mean, I had run all of my marathons in an ASICS shoe that was comfortable for me and that I could wear for the long stretch of distance. But since I'm no longer doing my distance running, I actually in a pair of Allbirds shoes now. And I have another pair that's the first pair I brought specifically to go to trade shows and things like that. That was a collaboration with Adidas when I first kind of got them on my scene. And my criticism of big brands like Adidas and Nike and and whatnot in these running spaces is that they'll release one product that is more sustainable and then it's back to norm for everything else, right? When they jack up the price by like 10 to $20 and people are like, I'm not paying extra money for that. Well, right. Well, their shoes are already more expensive. Like... (laughs) Yeah. So you're paying for this giant marketing machine and then also something that they're charging an intense premium for. And so people, of course, are going to make the choice for the lesser priced item that boasts all the performance because they still have skepticism about how long the shoe can last, for instance. So I am heading to Expo West next week as we record this show and I am packing my Allbirds. They will be my trade show floor wear as well as and I kind of lean into the fact that they are not black and don't go with that type of clothing. I'm like, whatever, they're white and they've got a splash of color on them. And I'm just going to, hey, did you notice that on the tongue of the toe, it says the CO2 imprint that these shoes have? Because that to me is important. And at a natural products expo, people should forgive, even if I'm wearing them with a little black dress. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I had an orange pair for a while and I would just wear it with everything. And I was well aware that that didn't match with anything, but I was like, yeah you know, it's about doing the right thing. (laughs) (laughs) So I appreciate the dedication of the brand. I also think you've got some interesting things coming out there. I will be very curious when they come out with more of a stability enhanced shoe. What I found worked for me the longest was super low profile trail runners because I would be less likely to roll my ankle. But for distance runs, when you're running on pavement, those things become uncomfortable after a while. So I really needed something that would be more Mm, better cushion. Let's just put it that way. Yeah. And they're working on that. (laughs) I still marvel at the fact that I've seen like traditional people running the Honolulu Marathon and things like a wooden thong or barefoot. And I was like, wow, 
these barefoot runners. I've known there's a few that have done ultra marathons barefoot, and I just can't even imagine. Yeah, but then you got to think about like the best, you know, before we had shoes, that would have been the way people did things. So it seems so crazy for us, but to them, they would have been like, what are these things? Why would you put things on your feet? <laughs> so they would have thought we were crazy. So, but I agree. When I see it, I'm like, whoa. I just, how do you do it? How do you do it? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm with you. <laughs> okay. So for those that are already in the wheelhouse of running and are doing the distance runs, I just have a few questions for you uh, given your expertise. What do you drink when you're running? When it comes to fuel for distance running, I actually like to have my fuel as a liquid. I prefer that to gels. Um, I will do gels if I need to, but I prefer to just do the liquid also environmentally better because you can get a big tub and so when i drink it's usually like a fuel got calories in it it's also got electrolytes in it so i definitely don't drink the typical sports drinks but i do drink like some of the nutritional products in the running world and then alternating that with water i like to keep it simple i did drink coke once at the end of my trail marathon and i've been told <laughs> by trail runners that that's kind of a norm so if i'm going to enter into the ultra space i think having Coke will be something that I'll get some sugar water at the tail end. Yeah, I will say it tasted better than it ever had before having Coke at like, what's that like four hours into running? It tasted pretty good, but not sort of something I typically have. <laughs> well, and for anyone running the Boston Marathon, don't drink the BU water. That was something else I did here. BU is Boston University and they'll have a fake water stand up and they're giving beer out. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, the guy I was with, the guide last year, he had a fireball shot at like mile 20 or something. So uh, people do all kinds of things. <laughs> <laughs> okay. And what running myths, if any, would you like to dispel? Oh, definitely. You need to be a certain speed to be a runner. You need to look a certain way to be a runner if you get out the door. So even you were saying about like you run until it gets really uneven. You're still a runner in my eyes. Anyone who runs is a runner. There's no better or worse. And yes, technically there's faster and slower, but it doesn't make anyone any less of a real runner. And then yes, yeah, same with body type. There is no like look of a runner. I don't believe in that. Yes. Do I believe if we want to get down to the science that there's probably a, a weight that people would run fastest? Yeah. But unless someone is like going for the Olympics, I don't even think that's worth even registering. So I love to see people of every body size coming into the sport and hopefully feeling like they belong. Any other running myths? I guess it would be running is bad for your knees. <laughs> I was sure. I was sure that was going to be a problem for me because I had bad knees when I was growing. My patella grew before the jointed and my ligaments were too tight on the outside and too loose on the inside. And so every time I climbed stairs for a while, my knee would roll out a socket. And I assumed that would always be a problem for me. Cycling didn't improve my knee at all. I mean, I did competition mountain biking for my teens and into early 20s, and I would still have the problem. When I started running, my knee problems disappeared. <laughs> I know this is anecdotal, but I did not have knee problems. I don't understand why that one's still circulating because it was busted such a long time ago. But yeah, I guarantee anyone here who runs has had some person in their life say like, isn't that bad for your knees? I just don't know why that one never seems to go away. <laughs> 
So yeah, those are three. Yeah, I think there are plenty of other things that are bad for your knees, but but not that. And having an overdeveloped quad and underdeveloped hamstring is, is another that can actually create some problems that even though doctors told me like, oh, well, you need to have a really strong quad to lift the patella up. But all that did for me was worsen the problem because I would have the ligaments were more the issue. And as soon as I started doing the distance runs, my knee problems completely disappeared and never returned. I've not had the issues since. That's not the first person to say that. (laughs) Yeah. What do you wish was different in the world of running? And I know you've already touched on this, but it's a different question. I wish that we would recognize that we live in such a world, and I was brought into this, of hustle mentality that the way to get what you want is to dig harder and push further and eat like hashtag clean and to just give it your all and try hard. And it just makes you tense and tight and stressed and miserable. And so I wish there was more leaning into the joy because I think for most of us, our best running experiences are not the races or the moments where we were like, oh, I'm going to dig. It's the moments when you were actually like just joyful and in flow and just in the moment. So I wish it wasn't so much focus on hustle and harder, try harder. It was more focused on like what a gift it is to be out there. Wow. Well, that was beautiful, Tina. Thank you. What thought would you like to leave our audience with today? I mean, I've kind of already said it, which is the like everyone belongs. And especially if you've never tried running and your memory and experience of running is maybe like a miserable PE class or running to chase a bus and missing it and feeling annoyed at yourself. It doesn't have to be that. If you slow down, which is the hardest thing to do, that is where people find the magic in it. And that is where you will understand like, oh, I see why people like this. But those experiences that we have from our childhood or from earlier in life are moments when we were running just outside of what our body was capable of. And so it associated in a negative way, but there's place for everyone in the running world. You just have to be to like handle your ego enough to slow down to access that and you will soon see it come out. And maybe that's just walking to start with. That could literally be walking five minutes, running one minute. But if you do it, you'll be amazed of how quickly you can improve. Well, and that's called interval training. Even if it is just walking to jog and then walking to run and walking to... Yeah, that's exactly right. Well, for people who want to hear the horror story of my pre-running journey, you can find an episode soon on Tina Weir's podcast because I got to come on and share my horror stories of my awful experiences with PE and everything else and feeling like I would never be fast enough to be a runner and all of those myths that we should just shove under (laughs) the deepest grave and say goodbye to forever. Thank you. No, thank you so much. This is great. To find out more about Tina Muir, visit runningforreal.com and check out her Instagram page at Tina Muir 88. That's T-I-N-A-M-U-I-R 88. You can also find her at Running For Real. I'll be sure to include links everywhere to where you can find her from her website to YouTube to Facebook and beyond on our sponsor's website, orlonutrition.com. This was a treat today. This podcast really is all about serving each of you. So if you'd like us to dive into specific topics or you have questions that you'd like for me or for Tina to answer, send us a note via social channels or email me at hello at orlonutrition.com. If you learned something today, I hope that you'll subscribe to Nutrition Without Compromise on your favorite podcasting platform. While you're at it, please give us a 
thumbs up or a five-star review. And if you think we did a terrible job, tell me that too. Ultimately, leaving a review will help more people find the show so they can achieve their best health naturally. And before I part, remember that you can get an extra 10% off your order just by using the coupon code NWC10 at checkout at orlonutrition.com. They can serve you the omega-3s, immune-boosting supplements that you need. As we close today's show, I hope you'll raise a cup of your favorite beverage with me as I raise my coffee today and say my closing words. Here's to your health. Thanks for listening to Nutrition Without Compromise. To make sure you never miss an episode, subscribe, rate, and review wherever you listen to podcasts. If you'd like to learn more, visit orlonutrition.com and join our mailing list. You'll gain access to complete show notes, features, and informative blogs because nutrition shouldn't be an either-or. 